did you know that self-control is kind of like a muscle? It can actually wear out. That's right. It, our patience, the same could be said for your patience as well. And we've all experienced this. You've had a day where you had to be patient. 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 And then you went home and it was like, <laughs> patient cramp. And all of a sudden you're impatient. That's how what our will is like. It can become fatigued over time. Like a muscle, like, like our legs are tired after a strenuous hike, like our arms might be tired after we've been working outside all day, like our brain is drained at the end of a grueling day at work. So goes our willpower. And see, this is really good to know because it happens to everybody and it happens to the best of us. And today we're going to look at a story of when it happened to a guy named David. And David was a really capable man. He was a, a, a man who was capable of, of all sorts of great things. He was able to, uh, to show incredible restraint, self-control, patience. But what we're going to pick up with him in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 25 today, we're going to find that, that obviously those muscles for him are fatigued. They're tired. He's at the end of his rope and he's about to make a decision that could cost him dearly. When you think of, of David, maybe think of King David, but we have to remember that before David was king, he was just a guy. He was just a, a guy. In fact, where we're going to pick up today, he was not only just a guy, he was a guy who was running for his life. He was a guy on the run, and there was a man named Saul chasing after him, literally to kill him. It was he made it very clear that if he caught up with him, he would end him. And we're looking in chapter 25, but in, in chapter 24, David spares the life of the very guy who wants to take his life. He has a chance to kill Saul, and he doesn't. And even though he made the right decision, it didn't make things any better. Have you ever had that happen before? Like where you make the right decision, you make the you know, this decision for the better, but it makes things worse. That's what happened to David on this day. Is he made the right decision, and I'm guessing making that decision took a huge hit, a huge toll on his patience, on his restraint. And as a result of this decision, David is now going back. He and his men now have to go back to scraping a living in the desert while the king, his enemy, goes back to the palace and lives up life there. And if that wasn't enough, we learn in the beginning of chapter 25 that Samuel died. And Samuel was uh, the great prophet of David's generation and a really close confidant for David, a close friend. Uh, here's a way to put it. If, if David was Frodo, Samuel was Gandalf. <laughs> he was the one that found him. He was the one that, that spoke into him, and he was the one that stuck by him when all others doubted. And now he was dead. And this is where we find David this morning. He's tired. He's grieving. He's frustrated. And isn't it true when, when we are tired, when we're frustrated, when we are beaten down, we don't make good decisions. 
Like, like, isn't it true? Like, like uh, when I come, at least for me, I know when I come to my wits ends, that's not when I'm at my best. I know for me that, that when I say, that, that when I'm tired, that's when I say things or do things that I wish I could take back, that I later regret. It's times, when, it's times like that where Christy will sit me down and say, Josh, you need to go to bed. <laughs> I think you need to go to sleep right now because I think you're tired. Because we don't make good decisions when we're tired, and I bet you it's the same for you. This is where we find David, this incredible man who's capable of incredible things. Maybe you're uh, familiar with some of the stories of old. But here he is just about to make one of the worst decisions of his life. And see, this is why I want you to follow me into this story today. Even if you don't believe in the Bible, you're not sure if this story ever happened, I think this story can be extremely helpful because David's about to make a decision that is terrible. Like we tend to do. Like you and I tend to do when we're tired, when we're downtrodden, when we're at our, the end of our rope. He's about to make a terrible decision, and yet, in the end, he does something remarkable. And I want to show you how this comes to be, how this came about. See, David and his men moved into the desert of Moan. And we learned that, that while they were in this area, that they were sharing this area with a, a man named Nabal. Nabal was, was grazing his, his livestock in that area. And we, we also learned that Nabal had a thousand goats and 3,000 sheep, which makes Nabal, uh, uh, to an ancient reader, they would see that and say, he's wealthy. Not only is he wealthy, but that's like top-tier wealth, right? That's like top 1%. 1,000 goats, 3,000 sheep. The text also makes it known that, that Nabal is not a great man. He calls him surly and mean in his dealings. That, you know, if you crossed him, bad things could happen, or if you worked with him, you'd get burned eventually. And while David was in the desert, he finds out that Nabal, this rich livestock owner that he's been sharing space with for a while, was shearing his sheep. It was that time of year where they sheared the sheep to us, which means that means not, nothing to us, but back then that meant payday. That meant that Nabal in one day would get a year's worth of income from the livestock by shearing the sheep and then selling the wool. So David decides that this would be a good time to ask Nabal for some resources. Hey, since it's, you know, it's a festive occasion, let's go ask Nabal. So he sends 10 men to Nabal and, and says, hey, would you, and, and, and he, he says, would you give us some things? And th see, this was not unwarranted. Because while David was in this same area with Nabal, nothing bad had happened. David and his men did not mistreat Nabal's servants. They treated him well. In fact, not only did they not mistreat him, nothing was missing. David didn't, didn't take anything. In fact, the opposite. He actually, it's, the text says that he was like a wall of protection around Nabal and his servants and his flocks. And so David's thinking, hey, you, uh, you know, I've done good to you. Will you repay good for good? And see, here's the thing we have to keep in mind. This is, this is a different age. This is a different time when might made right. This is unusual for a band of, like, uh, David is this, has this arm, band of army, this man, these men. 
They could easily take what they want. They could have easily taken it, and there really would have been no repercussions for it. But David didn't do that because he's patient, because he shows restraint. He's able to do that. So he sends this message to Nabal and says, Would you be so kind as to repay my goodness with goodness? Since I protected you, would you share with me? And this is where we pick up. Verse 10, chapter 25 of 1 Samuel. Nabal answered David's servants, Who is this David? Who is, uh, uh, who is the son of Jesse? Many servants are breaking away from their masters these days. Ah, these kids these days. You know, like this is the type of guy that Nabal is. He's, in other words, he, he, he doesn't say, Who is David? He's not like, Who is David? He, he knows who David is. Everybody knows that David's on the run from Saul, that David's a fugitive. That David is you know, basically like a pirate in the, in the desert. And, and he's, like, he's like, who is this David? Who is this son of Jesse? Many servants are breaking away from their masters these days. In other words, you, you should be with Saul. If you, you know, if you were a good person, Saul would take care of you and I shouldn't have to. And then he says this, why should I take my bread and water and the meat that I've slaughtered for my shearers and give it to men coming from who knows where? Take off, guys. You know, get out of here. I'm not giving you anything. Verse 12. David's men turned around and went back. When they arrived, they reported every word. David said, to, and David said this to his men. Each of you, strap on your swords. Strap on your swords. There will be blood tonight. <laughs> Inigo Matoya, right? Yeah? <laughs> Boys, saddle the horses. Pause. I want to take a pause and I want us to, to think about the golden rule. You know the golden rule? It goes like this. Do unto others as you would have others do unto you. Go ahead and put that up. Put that up. Thank you. That's the golden rule, right? The golden rule is great. If we can get everybody to do it, the world would be a pretty good place, right? We keep just doing what, to others what we would like them to do to us. Golden rule works until you're mistreated. And then you start to believe a different rule. The, very f the, neg the first thing that comes in your mind after you've been mistreated is this rule. Do unto others as others have done unto you. Right? You got smacked, so you want to whack them back. Do unto others as others have done unto you. And this is what, what's, this is good to know. This is the first thing in your mind when you're mistreated. Not the golden rule, this rule, whatever this is. The brown rule, I don't, you know, just that. <laughs> whatever it is. This, is. this is good to know. And I think that this is screaming in the back of David's head right now. He wants to do to Nabal what Nabal had done to him not what he wanted Nabal to do to him. See, remember, because in, in David's defense, remember, he's shown a lot of self-control. He's shown a lot of restraint. He's shown a lot of patience. But those things are like muscles. And here's, here's another thing that we tend to think when we've been mistreated. Do unto others as someone else has done unto you. 
See, isn't it true? Like, have you ever had a hard day at work and then came home and took it out on your family? And they're really confused. And, but you are too. You're like, why did I do that? Why would I take out on them what was done to me? It's because, it's because when we feel powerless in one relationship or environment, we often compensate in another, right? When we, when we want to do unto others what someone else has done on to you. I'll take it out on you because I can't take it out on her. I can't take it out on him. I can't take it out on them. See, I think that's exactly where David is today. What he can't take out on Saul, he's about to take out on Nabal. Let's keep reading. Verse 13, David said to his men, each of you strap on your sword. So they did, and David strapped on his as well. About 400 men went up with David, while 200 stayed with the supplies. So picture, 400 men, armed, ready to go. So what happens next is the servant, uh, in the verses to come, I'll summarize them, but uh, the servant of Nabal comes to Abigail, Nabal's wife. And Abigail's really the shining star of this story. This is when, when it, uh, people are asking me what I'm preaching on or what, as I've been planning this, I say, I want to preach about Abigail. This is really not about David. This is about Abigail and what she does next. She's extremely, the text tells us she's extremely intelligent and beautiful. And the servant comes to Abigail and says, listen, I want you to know you weren't around. While you were not around, David's men came and asked for some help. And Nabal was, well, he was Nabal. <laughs> and he, you know, kicked him to the curb and they, they went off. I'm worried that disaster might fall on our master, which includes us. So would you please do something? So uh, where are we? Yeah, so um, verse 18, Abigail, it says this, Abigail acted quickly. You'll find out that this woman is very quick-witted. She took, catch this detail, 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five dressed sheep, that's sheep, you know, five full sheep, five sias of roasted grain, which is about 60 pounds each, a cake of raisins, 100 cakes, 100 cakes of raisins, and 200 cakes of pressed figs. You know how they, like, they used to press those together and make cakes out of them. She sends all of that stuff. She loads them on the donkey, and then she says, this is hilarious, to her servants, go on ahead and I'll follow you. Yeah, right. Like that, yeah, that's a good idea. But, but she, and then she, it says this, but she did not tell her husband, Nabal, because she's intelligent, because she's smart, she's savvy. This woman's quick-witted. So she hops on a docky, heads towards David. She crests this hill just in time to watch David coming down the other side of the hill. And then the text does something really cool. The text switches from, from Abigail to David. And the text tells us what David was thinking as he was coming down this hill. Watch this. It says this, verse 21. David had just said, he just said this to himself, it has been useless all my watching over this fellow's property. Remember, he's patient. Remember, he's a good guy. Like, he's got a lot of restraint. But he's like, it's useless. We don't, you know, our, when, when, when something is useless, we lose steam, right? This, uh, it has been useless, all my watching over this fellow's property in the wilderness so that nothing of his was missing. He has paid me back evil 
for the good that I have done with it. And this is so interesting. See, David is doing what you and I do when we're mad and we're about to do something bad. We start listing all of the things, and they did that, and she did this, and she, you know, can you believe that? And then, and then we usually go get friends. We're like, can you, can, can you believe, look at my list. I've already made it up for you. It's a spreadsheet of everything bad that this person has done for me. And, and, and you know what? More often than not, because our friends are kind and you know, they care about us, they're like, yeah, you're right. And he was, what, he's justified He's justifying himself. He's doing what you and I do when we're mad. We justify ourselves about what, in, in what we're about to do. Evil for good, therefore I will repay his evil. I'm going to do in a ball what he's done to me. And see, remember, David is better than this. But he's tired. He's fatigued. And yes, what Nabal did was just not a great move. But what David is about to do is far far worse. Check this out. Verse 22, may God deal with David. This is, again, this is David speaking, which means now he's speaking in the third person. Note, pause, anytime you're speaking to yourself in the third person, (laughs) take a step back, (laughs) okay? May God deal with David, be it ever so severely, if by morning I leave alive one male of all who belong to him meaning Nabal. See, he's about to do something really bad. He's about to wipe out a whole bunch of innocent people. Okay, quick. Gentlemen in the room. Show of hands, I want you to raise your hand. How many of you have been saved from doing something, doing, from doing something really dumb by a woman? There's a lot of hands in this room right now. Thank, thank you for your honesty. Let, let's keep reading. Verse 23, when Abigail saw David, that is, you know, you can picture him, they kind of meet in the bottom of this valley. When Abigail saw David, she quickly got off her donkey and bowed down before David with her face to the ground. Now, let me just ask you this. How would you, what would you do facing 500 armed men? Like, what do you do to stop them? She decides to just ride her donkey up and, and bow before on the ground. It's, it's, a, it's a brave move, but it's smart. She fell at his feet and said, Pardon your servant, my Lord. My Lord meaning David, you. Pardon me. Let me speak to you. Hear what your servant has to say. Now, here's the thing. She's not his servant. She's the wife of a very wealthy, very powerful man. And David is a fugitive on the run. He has no power. He's a pirate. In most people's minds, he's like a pirate. And this is before pirates were cool. You know, like 15 years ago when pirates got cool and everybody was a pirate for Halloween? Nobody was dressed up as David in Halloween back then. Like, they weren't running around like, I want to be like David. He was, he was a fugitive. She's not his servant. And yet she's making herself subservient to him in this moment to prove a point so that she can be heard. Verse 25, Please pay no attention, my Lord, to the wicked man Nabal. He is just like his name. His name means fool and folly goes with him. She's saying his name actually would be like, you know, if you named your son idiot or something like that. That's, I don't know why they named him Nabal, but whatever. Um, she's like, hey, hey, my husband is a fool and folly follows with him. 
never mind him. And she does something very intelligent. She's like, let's just take him out of the equation for a minute, David. Let's just put Nabal aside and all of his foolishness. As for me, your servant, I did not see the men my Lord sent. Because if I did, she's like saying, if I did, this would be a different story. And then what she does next, what Abigail does next is incredible. She starts to appeal to the man she wants David to become in this moment. She starts to appeal to the man that he's not being at this moment. She's appealing to a man she wants him to become. Check this out. And now, my Lord, verse 26, as surely as the Lord your God lives and as you live, since the Lord has kept you from bloodshed, that's what you're about to do, David, from avenging yourself. You're you're trying to get revenge. This is vengeance, David. With your own hands, you're going to do this. May your enemies and all who are intent on harming you, my Lord, be like Nabal. And then she goes on to say that she goes a couple of verses later, she says this, verse 29, even though someone is pursuing you, this is so smart. She's talking about Saul, right? Even though someone, and she doesn't mention this is the name that shall not, that shall not be named, right? Even though someone is pursuing you to take your life, I want you to know something, David. The life of my Lord will be bound secure in the bundle of the living by the Lord your God. And to which we say, what? What does that mean? And what she's doing, she's using some Hebrew words that, that, that kind of make, uh, that, that, um, it's the same ver- words or phrase that you would use to describe a wallet or a purse. She's like, you know, I know someone's pursuing your life, but I want you to know that your life's hidden like something in a wallet, you know, and, and the wallets back then, they would bind them with like, like, like leather. She's like, I want you to know you, you're okay. It, you know, it, it's like it, um, you, you would bind them in order so that they don't get stolen, so that they stay safe. She's like, I want the, you to know that the, the life of my Lord is hidden so well, it's like hidden in the bottom of a woman's purse. Which I'm not going to say anything about. That's safe. There's, there's, he's not going to be found there. And then she says this, even though someone is pursuing, or she says, even though someone's pursuing you to take your life, the life of my Lord will be bound securely in the bundle of the living of the Lord your God. But the lies, and then she says this, but the lies, lives of your enemies, he will hurl away from the pocket of a sling. And I picture David's army behind him going, oh, snap. Because <laughs> if you know David's story, you know when you say David and Goliath, and when she said this, she said, but the lives of your enemies he will hurl away as from the pocket of a sling. Here he is, he goes right back to when he was 15 years old on the battlefield with that giant. And, and now able, see, honestly, I think Abigail had David at Hello. I mean, like bowing down before, you know, like coming before 400 men, you know, like bowing to having the bravery to do that and, to, you know, the wisdom to take the ball out of the picture and to reason and the intelligence and the articulation. I think all of it, like he was already won over. But when he, she said these words, I think he melted. Because he was right there. And she's saying, David, I know, David, you're tired right now, but remember, remember the Lord is with you. 
you don't have to take care of your enemies, David. God will. (laughs) Just like he took care of Goliath. You don't need to worry about Nabal. Isn't that cool? Read your Bibles. It's so good. I love it. Verse 30. When the Lord, she's not even done. Like she drops that and she just keeps going. By this time, I think the the men are getting off the horses and starting to eat the stuff that's right next to her because they're like, yeah, we're not going to be doing this today. When the Lord has fulfilled, she says, for my Lord, every good thing he promised concerning him and has appointed him ruler over Israel, like you will be king someday, David. My Lord will not have on his conscience the staggering burden of needless bloodshed or of having avenged himself. And when the Lord your God has brought my Lord's success, remember me. (laughs) Remember your servant. Dang, isn't that good? What she's saying is this in a nutshell, and this is what I want you to remember from today. She's saying, David, what's the story that you want to tell when this is just a story to tell? What story do you want to tell when this is a story? When, when this is just a story to be told, years from now, David, when you're, when you're not tired, when you're not angry, when you're not living in the wilderness, because you're not going to be in the wilderness, all, you're going to be in the palace someday, what story do you want to tell? When you have kids, David, and they ask about what life was like before you became king, do you, what's, what do you want to tell them about this? You want to tell them about that time? Some guy really ticked you off and you wiped out his whole household? Really? Is that the story you want to tell? What's the story you want to tell, David, when this is just a story to tell? It's good. David, again, he's melted. In verse 32, he says, David said to Abigail, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you today to meet me. May you be blessed for your good judgment and for keeping me from bloodshed this day and from avenging myself with my own hands. See, all of a sudden, because of Abigail, remember, he's tired, he's he's about to do this, but all of a sudden, Abigail comes and he has a moment of clarity. He says, you're right. This is not the story I want to tell. That You're right. God will take care of this. You're right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Praise God that you came today and saved me from this. See, there's three characters in this story. There's only one hero. Nabal, what Nabal did was predictable. It's Nabal. What David was about to do was terrible, although, albeit in his mind, it was justifiable, right? But what Abigail did was remarkable. And, and, and just as a result, instead of doing something terrible, David doing something terrible, like we do, we tend to do when we're tired and put out and at the end of our rope, he's able to do something remarkable. He's able to leave the situation and tell a better story. Can I just say this? I want remarkable for you. I do. I want each and every one of you to have a story that's remarkable. And that's if you, if you call yourself a Christian or a God follower or wherever, that's for all of us. I, I want 
remarkable for you. But here's the reality. There's probably something in your life right now that you're facing that you're fatigued by. There's something that's, that's just, it's like dripping water. <laughs> Chinese torture. It's just, you're tired. You know, and, and you know you're better than this, but you're just tired. Do you know that you can do something remarkable even there? So maybe, maybe you have a bad boss and it's like you just come home from home and you're just zapped, right? You're tempted to take it out on your family and you, you can do something remarkable. Or if you're a student, you're a student and you don't know why you have to study all this stuff and you don't like it or you're not that good at it or you don't like school or you're not sure, like school makes you anxious or there's a bully or whatever, listen, listen, listen. Students, what are, what's the story you want to tell when this is just a story that will be told? Because here's the, here's the point. This too shall pass. There will come a point in time where that will be in your past and you will tell the story. And I want that story to be remarkable. Young adults, if you're struggling to know, like, what is it I want to do for the rest of my life? That, it, that doesn't go on forever. Please know this. You're not defined by the fact that you don't know what you want to do for the rest of your life right now. And I, I believe that in the midst of this, you can do something remarkable. See, all of us, we're, we're fatigued by something. We're fatigued by someone. We're in a scenario situation. And the, the reality is, is we're capable of a lot. Even the mighty fall, right? We're capable of a lot. But I think we might need some Abigails around us too. I think it would be wise for us to say we need an Abigail. We need someone in our life who can speak clarity. In fact, let's just do that. Think of your scenario right now. Think of your situation or the person. I'm Abigail. Hi. What, what's the story you want to tell when that's just a story to tell? That when this is done, because it will be, what's the story you want to tell your kids? What's the story you want to tell your friends someday? What would great look like? In this situation, what does great look like? You know, we look at like w- our heroes that we love. We look at their hard situations. We say, man, they were great. Even then, what does great look like for you right now? Let's do this. If, if I was Abigail and you and I were sitting down to, to coffee, another thing I would do, and as I'd say, you know, you'd tell me all about the situation or the person. I'd say, okay, okay, okay. Let's just forget about Nabal for a minute. Let's take the fool out of the situation, right? What's the story you want to tell? Let's take them out of the, the situation. Wh- who do you want to be like? Do you want to get even with them? Because <laughs> here's the thing. Here's the problem. With get- here's the problem with getting even. Then you're even. And then you're even. You've become like a person you don't even like right? You become like a person who's making your life miserable. Why would you want to do that? So we need voices of reason in our lives. We need moments of clarity, especially when we're tired. Do you have those? Do you have Abigails in your life? And that's not just friends. They need to be somebody that are like, oh, I hadn't thought of it that way. You know you have an Abigail in your life when you're like, Whoa! I do. When they say something like, 
that's right, but I wish you hadn't said that. Can we take back the last 15 seconds? That's Abigail. Who's your Abigail? That's what David's doing right now. He still wanted to fight. He came there to brawl. He's like, whew, thanks for that. What if he did something remarkable? What does remarkable look like? Yeah, you can do something predictable. You can do something normal. You can do something justifiable. You can find people to help you justify it. What if he did something remarkable? See, I think this is a great story for Christians and people who wouldn't consider themselves Christians alike. But here's the thing, and I have to end this way. If you are a Christian, if you are, would consider yourself a Jesus follower, that is, you want to become like Jesus in as many ways as possible, doing this is one of the best ways to become like Jesus. Maybe you haven't thought of it this way, but here's the reason why. 2,000 years ago, on a Friday afternoon, Jesus Christ did something really unpredictable and truly remarkable. He allowed evil men to stretch him out and nail him to a cross when he could have stopped him. And he made it clear that he did that for you and for me. He, he, and, and it goes even before that. The, it, what was remarkable about Jesus is that he came in the first place. That he came because he came because of things that we had done wrong, that, that people had done wrong, he made it clear that he came to seek and to save those people who'd done wrong. And he came back not to pay those people back, but to win them back. He came to repay good for evil. And then he said, pick up your cross and follow me. I, I was thinking about it this week, there's very little else that we can do that exemplifies who Jesus Christ is more than this. It's powerful. Because the world's expecting you get whacked, you whack them back. But Jesus' followers live by a different creed. As Jesus said, love your enemy. Pray for those who persecute you. See, I want that to be your story. Because that story is remarkable. And Jesus is asking us to join him in it. <sighs> you can do this. Look at me. You can do this. I know it's daunting. And if you're tired and you're fatigued, you need an Abigail. But you can do this. We can do this. And this might be the best way, if you're a Christian, this is, might be the best way for you to be like Jesus. Let me pray.